When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It will be the strangest European Championships on record. No fans in some places, some fans in others, but the spectacle continues in adversity of this global pandemic. I am still Jake from What If Football, and this is Euro Daily, episode four, and this is the What If Football predictions. We're going to predict the entire tournament. Before we start, please like, subscribe, give a five-star review to Boosters algorithms everywhere where you get your podcast, be it Apple, Spotify, Acast or Amazon Music. This episode is also going out on our Patreon page, our Patreon being patreon.com forward slash whatifootball. After the European Championships, we'll be getting uh, seven days a week fresh content. We get a contemporary football podcast. You got nostalgic football podcast where we compare players and teams in head-to-head. We're also going to look at some fantastic games of football, such as Manchester United losing to Aston Villa. You don't win anything with kids in July there. And uh, among others, of course, football manager content. Also, subscribe to YouTube channel and uh, where we've got group previews going up. We've just finished those um, tomorrow and we have also got plenty of what-ifs surrounding the history of the European Championships. Let's get stuck in to today's show. Of course, before we get into the group predictions, I'm going to preface this with um, looking back at our only real real case study for this. We could, could of course, look back to the the 2014 tournaments of uh, Mexico 86 or Italia 90 or the 1994 World Cup, but those were quite some time ago, weren't they? Um, we do have to look back at the only 2014 tournament um, in Europe, and that was Euro 2016. So going into that tournament, we had five obvious group winners by the look of it. France in Group A, the hosts as well, England, Germany, Spain and Portugal. The only contentious issue really was whether Belgium or Italy would win the group. In the end, it was Italy. Um, meanwhile, Wales, Croatia and Hungary all eked out the uh, the favoured three of England, Spain and Portugal, which um, tended to show that with more security of qualification, with more often than not three teams going through as opposed to two, and less certainty of last 16 opposition. So, for example, England could have planned 
the whole method to the going from the groups to the final um, with the easier half of the draw, you can't really do it in um, in a 24-team tournament because the it could change every single match in terms of the best third-place teams that go through, obviously, second place. is um very, very different ball game when you get into a 24-team tournament as opposed to 16 or 32. So looking back at Euro 2016, we had England, Spain and Portugal. They all drew Iceland, Italy and Croatia. Only Spain got the uh, stronger opposition there, the uh, so-called punishment for finishing second as opposed to first. And only Portugal ended up going through. While Meanwhile, you've got Croatia and Hungary going out to Portugal and Belgium and Wales going through against Northern Ireland, of course, going through to the semi-finals. So in essence, it doesn't really matter who goes where in these groups because at the end of the day, it's going to be a big jumbled mess in the last 16. So this episode is essentially a waste of time. But as we saw from Euro 2016, we had one very strong half of the draw, one very weak half of the draw. It's often the case, isn't it? We've seen the same at uh, the last World Cup. But let's get stuck in. This is uh, Group A. And it only seems like there's one winner here, doesn't the um, one with home field advantage, the one with the biggest, brightest history in football in international tournaments is, of course, Italy. And they are currently three games off the Vittorio Pozzo unbeaten record of 30. The good feeling is back. We spoke the other day of Ticitalia is the, uh, the slogan they're going under at the minute. Um, they've got very good depth out wide. They've got very good depth in the middle of the park. And uh, Roberto Mancini, the manager since the failure to qualify for the World Cup in Russia, he's rotated a cast throughout the cast of players throughout the three years and he's settled on quite a solid team. They've got great strength in depth out wide for once. You know, Bernadeschi, Chiesa, you've got um, Immobile can play out wide as well. You have also got tons of talent You've got Domenico Berardi could also cut in from that right as well. In midfield, even without Marco Verratti, which is their most important midfielder, you'd fancy Italy to get through even without him. Manuel Locatelli is more than apt a replacement there, as well as Jorginho as well. Fantastic midfielder in quite some form. The only thing that will will stop Italy progressing from the next level, of course, they will uh, go out in the groups, go through the groups rather, um, is the lack of mobility should they play a bonucci Chiellini tandem at the centre centre of defence. Obviously, you've got Bastoni in there, who's the one of the only younger defenders and, of course, comes off the back of a Serie A winning campaign in Italy with Inter Milan. And that's the only thing that I can see stunting in their growth, and they are my Group A winners. Now, on to second place. Now, I got caught a bit of flack for um, suggesting Turkey would finish bottom of Group A. And, obviously, your mind changes every every day, multiple times a day, and especially in a group that's fairly, outside of Italy, is fairly close. You've got Turkey, Switzerland and Wales. None of them really have European pedigree. You had, obviously, Wales got to the semi-finals in 2016. Turkey got to the semi-finals in 2002. Switzerland always have a good team, don't they? They don't entertain, really. They just get through it. Um, and it, it is the tightest group outside the leaders, I do think. Um, it's the type of type of group where a good team spirit would be enough to grab your second place I mean, in terms of quality on the pitch though I think Turkey are in second place they've got Hakan Kahlanoglu they've got Burak Yilmaz had a fantastic season for Lille so has Yusuf Yizike so has uh, Zeki Celik as well the uh, Lille trio there and Hakan Kahlanoglu obviously you can't forget 
the defence. It's very young, but they've got names performing at clubs there in Chelik at, at Lille. You've got uh, Sionchu at Leicester. You've got uh, Kabak at Liverpool. And Schalke, of course, is a parent club. And Mary Demiral uh, with Juventus. They did have a very good record uh, defensively in qualification. That's fallen away slightly, maybe due to Kabak coming in for Demiral, but we uh, but we don't know that. And the another intangible is also that Turkey have an official home field advantage, really, because they'll be playing two of their games in neighbouring Azerbaijan in Baku. So there is the potential there to make that almost like a home fortress against Switzerland and Wales when they play there in the two group games. And that might just be enough, really. Um, it seems silly that all these uh, things could be, uh, like players could be deciding the games, but in actuality, home field advantage, something we, nobody's really seen for the last 18 months, could really decide the group. Um, I've put Turkey in second because also they've got Chanel Gunez in there from 2002 when they got to the semi-finals of the World Cup, which will be, it, it has to have a, an advantage when you've got Switzerland, who have got Vladimir Petkovic, who've taken them to successive last 16s. You've also got uh, manager, managerial up, upheaval with Wales as well. But let's start with Switzerland, who are my pick to finish third. Both Switzerland and Wales play fairly similarly with similar formations and style. They've got three at the back. They sit deep and they look to counter-attack. I've split them, really, because of their defence. As Switzerland have a more established back three. Manuel Kanji, Fabian Scher, Nico Valde. Very good talents. Also, Ricardo Rodriguez to drop into left centre-back. A bit similar to what Ben Davies can do uh, with Wales as well, let's not forget. But I do think Switzerland have the more established, the more experienced defence there. And the familiar spine of Granit Xhaka and Jordan Shaqiri, who perform a lot better for their countries as well. Akin to uh, Gareth Bale, really, for Wales. Um, and they are very, very similar. Historically, they don't score bags of goals. They don't concede loads either, again like Wales, but I do think the uh, stability of the manager in Petkovic will have them above Wales there. And Wales, they got to the semi-finals last time, of course. They do have the main cast of Ben Davis, Gareth Bale, Joe Allen, Aaron Ramsey. Joe Allen benefit from, benefiting from the postponement of the tournament for a year because of that Achilles injury. They do have a glut of youthful talent. Dan James up front, Joe Rodon, Ethan Ampadu as well at back, Nico Williams, Kiefer Moore as well. Um, Third place can get you through, but alternatively, third place can't get you through if there's not enough goals in the team, there's not there's too many draws with the other team, and that's the disadvantage of having a tight group like this. It's safe. Italy win all their games and somehow Turkey count a win against, say, Wales, and the rest of the games are draws. So that leaves Switzerland on two, Wales on one they all of a sudden neither qualify because two points won't be enough to qualify them for third place for the last 16, really. And our Twitter followers, 74.2% of them said Italy would qualify as the group winners. And in a separate poll, you had Switzerland with a third of the third share of the vote to finish second, Turkey with 30% and Wales with 23.3, which shows how tight it is, really. just a 10% gap between second and fourth. And I'm going against Twitter. Um, I'm going for Turkey in that one. Slightly uh, contradictory to my team preview that went out on Saturday night, but there we go. We can all change our minds, can't we? It's good for us. It's healthy. Something that I haven't changed my mind about, really, is a top two in Group B, and they are the over overwhelming favourites for the group Belgium. It has to be. And it, 
it's maybe not to do with their greatness as such, but rather the lacking quality of their opponents. Twitter said 100% Belgium would win the group. So, yeah, come on, they're one of the best teams in the world. Um, officially the best team in the world, if you uh, listen to FIFA rankings. Denmark would be a difficult test, um, particularly in uh, Copenhagen as well, especially if Kevin De Bruyne and Eden Hazard aren't fully fit yet. Um, De Bruyne should should be uh, match fit, really. The only thing that I do think going forward out of the groups um, that goes against Belgium is their age in defence, which we'll discuss later on. Um, this is their absolute last chance as a collective, really, uh, for the golden generation. Qatar 2022, they'll be a year older uh, in a baking climate as well. It'll be a lot more difficult. They do have fresh talent coming through. Jeremy Doku of Rennes is an exciting young talent at left wing. They've got informed players like uh, Yuri Tielemans, uh, Yannick Carrasco and Romelu Lukaku, of course, and some of the world's best, so De Bruyne, Hazard, on the day at least. De Bruyne probably more than Hazard at this stage. Let's uh, let's be straight about that one. And um, second place, I've gone for Denmark, one of the teams with home advantage, and it is a group of uh, home advantage, really, Russia have it as well. Um, it's a group full of rivalries, in essence, as well. Finland versus Russia, you've got that uh, Eastern European Nordic uh, vibe there, and Denmark versus Finland, of course. Friendly rivalries, uh, more so in the second one than the first. And that's the only thing that really makes this slightly unpredictable outside of Belgium, home field of advantage of side. And even that's really manufactured, isn't it, really? Particularly with Denmark versus Finland. Denmark do have the strength in depth that they sometimes haven't had since the uh, 90s when they were really, really good. Um, in 92, 98, I seem to recall, they were very had a very good team there. They've retained the core of players that were at the World Cup. You've also got players such as Andreas Christensen, Champions League winner, Casper uh, uh, Schmeichel, Casper Dahlberg, Yusuf Poulsen, Martin Brathwaite, all had better experiences over the past three years as well. Simon Kerr as, Kerr as well. Um, you've got a decent uh, cast behind them in terms of centre-half as well. So they, they do have that strength in depth now. And, and Denmark, they don't have, they've not been talked about as uh, dark horses as much as Turkey and Ukraine, but they, they should be well up there in the uh, conversation. They're a bit like Sweden. They're, they're not going to be entertaining. But they are a very, very solid team. Also, see, Jonas Vind, he's my one to watch as well. Um, we'll be talking about that more tomorrow when we look at ones to watch. Now, in third place, I've gone for a bit of a shock and I've also contradicted my team preview that went out earlier on this week. I've gone for Finland. And now that might seem stupid, it might seem bizarre, especially with Russia having a home field advantage. But let me uh, show you my workings out. I've talked myself out of Russia being in third for good reason. Finland have the team spirit. They've got the novelty, the freshness of a debut tournament. We've seen that also, although Wales wasn't a debut tournament in 2016, I know that. It was so long ago, so far removed from 1958, and it was their first year as they, it, it propelled them on. The same can be for Finland as well. We know how well Iceland did, and is that lazy to compare two nations that are fairly similar geographically, although not really at all culturally? Um, I don't think they'll go through, however, but still third place. They've got a good midfield of Captain Stim, Tim Spav, Glenn Kamara, got good goal scorers, Joel Ponyapalo, obviously, of course, Timu Puki as well. And I feel as though they have those intangibles, the the novelty, the over Russia. Um, they'll be up for the Russia game more so than Russia over them in St. Petersburg because of the uh, two nations' uh, complicated history. Um, but I don't think that would matter too much. But with uh, fans in St. Petersburg, maybe it will. And we'll see a good game. There. That's going to be one of the better games from Group B, the more interesting games rather. 
And in terms of Russia, the mood isn't great surrounding uh, Stan Churchesov. They've suffered from the postponement, not only in the their squad's got a year older, of course, because that's how time works. They also don't have the steam from the World Cup excitement any longer. That's just disappeared now. They pin the hopes now on individual flair of Golovin, of Mirantruk, of Cher- Cherishev, of uh, Artem Zuba. They do have that talent, obviously, over Finland. I do think that Finland are greater than the sum of their parts, which is why I've gone for them over Russia. Um, the goalkeeper situation isn't the best, of course. Akinfeyev hasn't been replaced. He, uh, there were rumours about him coming back. That's not been uh, that's not been followed through on Grilherm. Uh, he's unfavoured, and the only thing in their favour, really, is home field advantage. Now, in terms of second place, nobody thought Finland would get second place. I don't think Finland would get second place because Denmark just have that edge about them. Um, they don't, I think Denmark will finish up with six points, maybe even seven if they can get a point against Belgium. Um, Russia, 33% of you said Russia would be second with an overwhelming 67% majority for Denmark finishing second. So I've gone the way of Twitter on that one in what seemed like a pretty cut and dry group, but could also have the uh, X factor of Finland in there too. So Group C, and we do have the Netherlands as winners on this one, and perhaps they are the weakest of the group winners that I've selected. Twitter has it the same as well, with just 70% of the vote, the lowest of the uh, six groups. The only ones in that 70 bracket are France, but that's the group of death tax on that one really, isn't it? The Dutch have suffered really... uh, by the postponement, more than others, really. They, would have had, they wouldn't have had Memphis Depay in the tournament had it been last year, but they also would have had Virgil van Dijk. Also, they would have had Ronald Koeman, who uh, succeeded Ernesto Valverde at Barcelona. Meanwhile, Frank de Boer has come in. He needs a, a dramatic change to lift the mood here. Um, his last three jobs haven't gone great into Milan Crystal Palace, Atlanta United in the MLS. The formations drifted around. You've had a 4-2-3-1, a 4-3-3. Now you've uh, looked as though you've got a 3-5-2. You've got Steven Bergvine. He's been excluded from the squad, which infers a wingless formation, more of a wing-back uh, shift with uh, Wyndahl and uh, Denzel Dumfries at wing-back. They've not got a great selection of wingers, although there are Quincy Promes, they are Steven Berg- Berghaus as well. And three may be the more sensible option with Virgil van Dijk out. You can slot Nathan Ake in there. You could easily slot Frankie de Jong in there as well in the back three alongside De Vrij and De Litt, who are two of the best uh, defenders at the tournament, really, in my opinion. The midfield is key. I think they need the defensive solidity of Martin de Roon. Um A lot of people might not, but I think uh, de Roon is key to uh, them getting pretty far in the tournament. You've got uh, de Jong's flexibility and ball progression Wijnaldum's also, we know his qualities. Van der Beek has been ruled out for injury, just as I'm recording this. Um, he's not as key these days. I mean, David Klaassen is probably ahead of him in the uh, midfield contention. But yeah, I wouldn't have either in the starting eleven. I'd go for a more uh, solid route with uh, De Roon in, uh, in head of the uh, defence there. But I do think they've got enough just about to uh, stave off Ukraine. It might be a draw, but they will have enough. They've got home field advantage as well, haven't they? So that also counts for them against Austria and North Macedonia, which they should have the advantage over them quite easily. A lot of people have been saying that they might not even qualify, but that's just silly talk really, isn't it? And in second place, I'm going to go for Ukraine. Now, it's a lot like groups B and A. There's a distinct favourite, no matter how weak the Netherlands are. Ukraine, though, are solid in defence. They should have the 
the firepower to stave off Austria and North Macedonia. They've got Alexander Zinchenko and Ruslan Malinovsky, the offensive midfielders, great in great form as well. Malinovsky's finished the season perfectly for for um, Atalanta there. There's been a bit of a narrative of dark horse-ness, if that's not a phrase, but it's sort of worn off Ukraine in the postponement of the tournament in favour of Turkey, really, because Turkey have had those players for Lille, who've performed really well at club level and won league. And meanwhile, Ukraine seemed, the people have seemed to forget about Ukraine qualifying ahead of Portugal. And they've got Roman Yaramchuk, who's had a great season as well uh, for Ghent for 23 goals there. And maybe he's a bit of a dark horse for Golden Boot. We have seen Harry Kane the last tournament. He ran up five of his six goals in the group stages. What's to stop Yaramchuk bagging a hat-trick against North Macedonia, getting a couple of goals, and then all of a sudden he's Golden Boot winner, isn't he? Um, might be a bit beyond the realms of uh, reality there, but Ukraine have a, a very good team. Matvienko in defence, Piatov in goal, fantastic um, defence there. And the having watched Austria and having seen snippets of Ukraine as well, I, it's night and day. I do think Ukraine have got a much better team than Austria, although they do have, both of them have flair players. Austria have uh, Marcel Sabitzer, so they've got Marko Arnautovic. Even if Arnautovic doesn't play, they've got Sasa Kalajic as well. I'd love them to play him because he's, he's a wild card. He offers them something different. He's huge, six foot seven, and he scores goals for fun at Stuttgart there. He's scored one every other game. But even outside of that, I mean, of course, David Alaba plays a bit more forward. He plays either centrally in midfield or out on the left wing. Um, even outside of this, you've got the uh, functional players. You've got Stefan Elsanka, who's flexible at centre-back. Uh, defensive mid central midfield and that's key for what is going to be a tournament of pragmatism I think also out wide you've got Christoph Baumgartner who I like the look of him um, not seen too much of him obviously plays football for Hoffenheim he's been uh, fairly decent this season whenever I've seen highlights of Hoffenheim um, but I like the look of him when they played England and surely they've got to win their first Euros game at their third tournament here um, and that's because North Macedonia are the fourth team and they're my fourth uh, selection here. Um, I was told in my preview video um, a couple of days ago that they won't finish fourth. And to be honest, I don't think they're the no-hopers that everyone expects from a debutant. You've got Goran Pandev providing something up front. Obviously, it's, it's going to be his first and probably last tournament in international football. Of course, retired in 2013, but came back in 2016 uh, for the uh, international football. Outside of him, though, there is strength. There's players in the top five leagues You've got Alioski at Leeds, you've got Bardi at Levante, you've got Elmas, probably their brightest player um, playing for Napoli. That's the sort of brightest talents in what is a, a functional 3-4-1-2 formation. They could have done with Iliar Nestorovsky, but uh, he's been banished by, it seems, and you've got Alexander Traskovsky in there as well, who does plays football at Mallorca, couldn't play a right deal, but he will be playing La Liga football, it seems, next season. They could get third, it's not beyond the realms of fiction that they could get third with a performance against Austria or even Ukraine, really, hold them to a draw. Um, they are unlikely to go through, though. And um, Twitter poll also says, likewise, 3% of you thought uh, they would finish second. Ukraine, 27%, which is kind of shockingly low. And Austria, 50%. Obviously, the rest of it goes to the Netherlands there. But I, mean, I don't see Austria as strong as the rest of you. Austria were very optimistic going into Euro 2016. That that uh, didn't turn out well. They got one point from three games, like in 2008, when they qualified automatically. This time around, there's no optimism, or very little optimism. They do have good players in there, admittedly. 
But I just uh, I just don't see them finishing second. They will go through, I think, because uh, groups A and B are very tight and that will infer that the third place team won't go through. But I don't think that Austria have enough to get beyond, far beyond the uh, the last 16 of even the groups, to be honest. Now I'll go to group D and, as you can tell by my voice, I'm English and I'm going to go for England as the winner and home field advantage and potentially... I'll say this quietly and gingerly. They've got one of the best teams at the tournament. Is it coming home? I'd like to think so, but let's temper expectations. The group stages are a good thing for England in terms of it being 24 teams and finishing second isn't really a disaster as we spoke of earlier because first place will probably give them a tougher ride in terms of the last 16. The group as it lies, playing Croatia first and then going on to gentler and gentler opposition, you'd hope, as an England fan, um, it gives England chance to ease players in. You've got Harry Maguire in a race to be match fit, in a race to be even fit. Uh, Jordan Henderson, likewise, didn't have a... I don't think he... His influence has a, a place in the in the 26, no matter what Roy Keane might say. But in terms of his in-game management, I don't think he's up to speed yet. Obviously, he has an influence on certain younger players around him and he's got that tournament experience, so he's handy to have around and he will be eased into fitness and I think this group stage helps England a lot in that respect there are a lot of players that are too important to miss Harry Maguire being one Harry Kane being another um, with Dominic Calvert-Lewin being a completely different uh, prospect up front it might infer if, if Kane gets injured God forbid um, it might infer a return to 3-4-3 and Declan Rice that's no one seems to be talking about he needs to be playing because there's no real there's no real replacement for him. Henderson could drop back into a six, but he's more an eight now. Um, and I think that's why Ben White got chosen over uh, Trent Alexander, over James Ward Prowse for Trent Alexander-Arnold's replacement because he can play defensive mid as well. He can, play, he can sit in front of that defence as well as being a defender as well. And that infers that Harry Maguire might not be as fit as once uh, once hoped. But there are a glut of depth in other positions, of course. Right back, of course, is the uh, one that everyone's been banging on about. Of, of left wing as well, to be fair. Left wing back as well. Um, left back, Kieran Trippier can play. There you've got Luke Shaw, Ben Chilwell. Obviously on the wings, there's each winger though for the uh, in the England team. They offer something different. Rashford and Sterling, they've got the pacing behind and that's something that I think Gareth Southgate might go with against the wishes of the nation, of course. Everybody's a Jack Grealish fan. Um, because that's how Harry Kane plays. And Harry Kane is going to drop deep. And if he drops deep, he's venturing into the positions of Foden, of of uh, Grealish there. And it's, I don't think it's compatible with one another. And I think there's going to be a lot of angry uh, fans for that first game. But it maybe gives them a different game plan, more cohesive game plan. In terms of uh, alternative, you've got Jaden Sancho, of course, has the composure to p- pick out a man as the assist king, Uh Phil Foden's a great finisher, Mason Mount also is, also got the composure. Jack Grealish is more of a unicorn and that's why there's the clamour, the the likening to Paul Gascoigne, to Wayne Rooney. They are the, they are the ones that sort of people gravitate towards because he's he draws fouls, he's a completely different player, he's fantastic, he's important to every team that he's in and that is why people jump on the back of him in support of him. And I'm no different, I love Jack Grealish. Um, but in terms of the team's functionality, I think Jack Grealish is more of a moments player in terms of if he comes on, I think he's best suited to coming on and unlocking a defence, 
gaining those set pieces that proved so vital for England in 2018. But of course, we'll go through uh, the arguments for and against this as the uh, tournament continues. There are question marks in defence, of course, with Tyrone Mings, um, with Connor Cody in a two at least. In a three, I think it's perfect. In a two for Tyrone Mings as well, I'm not too sure. I'd, I'd, be, go, I'd be going left field and picking Ben White alongside John Stones, but there is a question mark against John Stones' temperament when he's not got a leader alongside him like a, like a Harry Maguire, like a Ruben Nevers. But for the first time, at least for me as an England fan, there's optimism that he's well-founded. And um, we've got the system, we've got the sensible manager, we've got the players, we've got a lot of players. And I need to stop saying we because um, <laughs> I want to be impartial. Right, second, Croatia. Eking out Scotland a lot closer than you might think because of obviously home advantage and also because Scotland are very strong, surprisingly. Croatia, alternatively, are a squad in transition. They've got the... Players that are now older, but they've now got the weight of expectation that the final of the 2018 World Cup brings. They've lost key players, Mandzukic, Rakitic, Subasic, of course. They have got Luka Modric, he's generational. Let's uh, let's just say that one. Um, also in midfield, a whole host of midfielders that can come in. Milan Baldel, Marcelo Brozovic, Mateo Kovacic, Ivan Klasnic, every They've got one of the best midfields at the torrent. Let's just put that out there. Perisic and Rebic out on the flank. Their team has the foundations that remain from 2018. They might be older, but I don't think their age matters too much in um, in getting out of the groups. They will probably finish in the top two, most likely than not. Um, in defence, they've got maybe an issue. They've got uh, the same starting two that you would expect from 2018, Dejan Lovren and uh, Domagoj Vida. Lovren may mispatch the tournament because he's covering uh, from transition. This is where Croatia's tournament hinges on. You've got Coletta uh, Carr and Gvadiol and um, the drop-off of experience to youth is quite vast when you consider the uh, centre-back options coming on from the bench. Also, you've got Livakovic, who's, to be fair, he's a, a decent transition from uh, Subasic in net. He plays for Dinamo Zagreb, of course, got to the not to the quarterfinals of the Europa League, and you've got Bruno Petkovic may start up front as well, but there are obviously Kramaric as well up there from 2018 who could do a job. And Petkovic played more in qualification, scored more in qualification. I think, like Belgium, it's their last chance to win for a while before that new full team comes through and the new lads fully transition. And we've got the Coletta cars, we've got the Vardials, etc. In third place, it's a toss of a coin, really. Scotland and Czech Republic they faced each other many times in uh, not too recent, not too distant past. Scotland have home field advantage. They're playing their games at hand and against Croatia and Czech Republic. So that means there's that as well, which also Scotland have the psychological advantage over Czech Republic. They beat them twice. Admittedly, one was against a COVID-ravaged Czech Republic team in the Nations League. And let's not forget, Czech Republic actually gained promotion, not Scotland, to League A in that uh, Nations League for for all the optimism that Scottish fans might have. Me, personally, a former student in Scotland, so I, I want Scotland to do well, unlike other English fans. Um, I'm optimistic about Scotland, and I think it's the most optimistic Scotland should be at a tournament uh, ever, potentially with the exception of the 70s when... Um, they believed they were among the favourites. Obviously, you've got uh, that win over the Netherlands in 78 as well, Archie Gemmel, etc., etc. 
Right. It's a shame that both of their best players are left backs, but as you can see with many fluid systems these days, Tierney and Robertson can swap out into left centre back too. And it is this tactical fluidity. The you've got Matt, Scott McTominay going to centre back. He can play midfield as well. This tactical revolution from Steve Clark. I think it's given Scotland a lot more hope. I think they're greater than the sum of their parts. They even despite that they have got a lot of players playing top Premier League football. Scott McTominay, as already mentioned, you've got Billy Gilmore at Chelsea. He was a bit of a wild card, but I think Billy Gilmore, if he's clamour for him, he could play easily. You've got John Fleck in there as well. Had a great season the season before last with Sheffield United. Stuart Armstrong is one of the most unspoken good players of the Premier League with Southampton. Obviously, Callum McGregor for Celtic is a fantastic uh, midfielder as well. And that's with absentees. And that shows how deep the Scottish squad is now. You've also got, you know, Jack Hendry for Ustend in defence, Liam Cooper, Grant Hanley. You've got a good defence in there as well. And up front, Che Adams has uh, given the attacking side of things a new lease of life. So has Lyndon Dykes as well. Uh, two players there that have kind of been plucked from other nations, kind of. Um, you've also got Ryan Fraser in there as well. I think Scotland have got a very good chance of qualifying for their first ever knockout phase, I've whisper it quietly of why she might jinx it, but I think Scotland will do very well. Um, in terms of Czech Republic, they've not got a bad team as well, let's not forget. It's touch and go for them. I've flitted between third and fourth for them for some time now, but I'm going for this British bias. I mean, this one, I'm going for Scotland. They've got great attacking talents. They've got Jakob Jankta drifting in from the left. You've got Patrick Schick, who plays his football at a fairly high level in the Bundesliga. We all know the the powers of Thomas Socek and Vladimir Kufal in the uh, heart of midfield and out wide, right back or right wing back. Alex Kral will be one to watch. He can play out wide. He can play in a double pivot as well. Um, and I think another thing that helps Scotland in this is Czech Republic play Scotland at Hamden and everything surrounding Andre Kudela and his ban. And I think that might give Scotland an extra incentive to win there as well. So that's... That's weird on my mind as well. I think that will be uh, Scotland finishing third. They're probably beating Czech Republic in there, despite Czech's great talent in the team. And to be fair, Twitter have also gone that way as well. 7% think Czech Republic will finish in the top two. Meanwhile, 15% me think Scotland will finish in the top two. So that infers that Scotland will finish third with Croatia way out in there in second place. And England, of course, 81% in a separate vote, of course, because those numbers don't add up to 100 Let's go to Group E, the penultimate group. And again, it's a bit like Group C, this one, because Spain, they are one of the weakest Spain sides, on at least on my memory. Um, but the, they remain firm favourites to get out of this group. 90% of you said they'd win the group, for example. I think that's due to more of a lack of competition in the group as opposed to their own talent. Of course, Belgium, you could say the same for them as well, um, to a certain extent, but I think uh, Belgium are stronger than Spain. Luis Enriquez picked 24 players instead of the allotted 26 but there's still notable absentees. Um, who knows? Who knows? Anyway, it might be to do with team cohesion and morale, and maybe they, there is an argument for that. Sergio Ramos was uh, omitted. I think that's a good decision, though, because he's barely played since January. But also, you've got Sergio Reguilon, Iago Aspas, Jesus Navas, also omitted. Um, uh, Navas, especially, when Spain don't seem to have a, an out-and-out right-back, obviously, it says Ars Piliqueta has been brought in from the cold. Uh, but Navas was, he seemed nailed on for me to be right back and I i just don't understand that one bit. Um, Sergio Busquets has suffered COVID and in terms of a bubble like that, 
that could be quickly rampant. And with Spain still able to call up players in replacement, and should that stretch to other parts of the team, it could leave Spain at breaking point. It could leave Group E looking very, very different. Um, they had to play the under twenty one for a friendly. They could be wiped out by that method. They could finish fourth with an under. Well, to be fair, Spain's under twenty ones could uh, could still win this group. Let's be honest. They do have a good central defence, even without Sergio Ramos. You've got Eric Laporte coming in with his uh, citizenship. Uh, ratified by FIFA and UEFA. You've got Eric Garcia, who's not played a whole host for Man City, but he seems to be preferred to Pau Torres, which is uh, another decision that um, rankles with me, really, because Pau Torres is in form. He's got the match fitness. He's come off the Europa League win for Villarreal. I think they've got a good uh, central unit. The left-back is fine. It always is. You've got Jordi Alba. You've got Jose Gaia. They couldn't change at will, really, especially during the groups when they're facing lesser opposition. Um, Aspilicueta is probably going to be the right back alongside Marcus Llorente Llorente at right back doesn't thrill me really he's, he's played in a whole host of positions a utility man for Atletico you know he's played def- defensive mid he's played more offensive out on the wing in as a number 10 uh, but right back I think I don't, I'm not too sure on that one um, Aspilicueta I think I think he's probably the better option there and him being brought in from the cold I think he will start right back potentially um, and in the midfield three, it could be any combination and there could be a winning three. Of, of course, we'll discount Busquets for the time being, but Rodri as the base is a bit more energetic than Busquets. And I think that might be a blessing in disguise as long as obviously the infection doesn't spread, of course, or hurt anybody. Uh, but Rodri being the number six, I think works more and works better. He's come off a more successful season, fresher legs. Um, Thiago and Koke will probably be preferred ahead of him and two fantastic world-class midfielders they also let's not discount Fabian Ruiz let's not discount other players such as Pedri who is for me the one to watch and he's a bit of a wild card that could be his tournament it could be Wayne Rooney 2004 type thing also um, I think Ferran Torres will be Spain's player of the tournament I think he'll impress he's been fantastic for City in the brief glimpses that we've seen of him he could play false nine he could play right wing I think he's going to play right wing, though. Um, in terms of the central attacking option, he, Luis Enrique loves uh, Alvaro Morata. For me, he blows hot and cold. He hasn't been great in the friendlies. I think Jared Moreno should, definitely should start. He's in form. He um, come off the back of a Europa League win with Villarreal, scored in the final, of course. And I think he could easily get fill his boots with goals here. Um, I think... It, Whatever combination, I think it'll be enough for Spain to get through the groups and in top place. COVID situation pending, of course. Um, but depend on the draw, the the unpredictability of the draw this could be Spain could either be very out very well early in the last sixteen or could uh, reach the semi-finals without facing anyone too tough. Um, but we'll get onto that um, later on. Now Sweden, I've I've got them in second place, and this is one of the hardest decisions to make, really, between Sweden and Poland. Poland have got the superstar of Lewandowski and others. Uh, Sweden have the tournament experience, the quarterfinal of the 2018 World Cup. They aren't very stylish. They're quite stoic. They're quite, you know, defend. They've got the team cohesion. And as I said earlier, this is a tournament of pragmatism. Jana Andersson is still the manager from 2018. He'll know how to get far in a tournament. There's not too much differences between the uh, team from 2018 to now. You've got Alexander Izak, who's coming to a lot of form for Real Sociedad. Um, him alongside Robin Quaison will be very exciting up front. Um, the former in particular, I think Izak's going to be fantastic. I think he'll he'll do well in this tournament and earn a move somewhere else off the back of it. And I think 
Zlatan Ibrahimovic's injury, uh, his return in March, obviously, he's one of the best players. Best, he's probably he's, he's the best Swedish player of all time, maybe. Um, and I think his injury isn't as isn't all that bad. Really, isn't much of a negative because the team cohesion. I think that's more prevalent than a superstar like a Poland with Lewandowski. We all know about how well Poland did at the World Cup last time from having a superstar. They went out in the groups, one of the first teams to exit the tournament, lost the first two games. And I think it's better to have the team there rather than just one big name in the front, um, which is what Poland have. And Poland are a good team outside that. Obviously, there's not just one, it's not just a one-player team. They've got Milik as well alongside them. They've got Zielinski on the left. Um, both have been tearing up this season, both combined uh, to devastating effect for Napoli at times. Obviously, Milik's now with Marseille. They do have other talent. They've got uh, Mateus Klick in midfield. You've got Bednarek and Kamil Glick at centre-half, which is a good partnership, I think. It is a good team. Um, the World Cup has showed us that they can be found one, and I think they will be here. I think they'll, they will qualify for the last 16 in third place, but I think they will be behind Sweden, definitely, which is contrary to what our followers thought. 67% of you thought Poland would finish second. 22% of you would thought Sweden would finish second and none of you absolutely none of you thought Slovakia would finish second and Slovakia are probably the forgotten name at this tournament because you've got Finland and North Macedonia who might not be as good but it's their debut and it's there's Ferrari around that isn't there but Slovakia are neither here nor there they've been there before they've been to tournaments they've got through and let's be honest um they've not got the best team they've got notable players Milan Skriniar Marek Hamsik the most notable you've got Robert Mack out wide you've got Robert Bosinek uh, up front, 21, youthful. He's at Feyenoord, he scores goals. But Slovakia found a way out in 2010 against the likes of Italy and Paraguay. They found a way out in 2016 against England and Russia and Wales. Um, Robert Vitek will attest to be a tournament cult hero from 2010, scoring four goals at that tournament. So why can't Robert Mack out wide? Why can't Robert, Robert Bosinek? No matter how unlikely, we'll be talking about Hungary later on as well. Um, Slovakia, yeah, they, they are the forgotten team at this tournament, but why not? Why not? But I don't, I, I've put them in fourth for a reason. I don't think they're as good as Sweden and Poland and definitely not as good as Spain. Let's round the groups off, shall we, with the group of death, group F. And for a group of death, it's rather unusual to have a team that just sticks out as winners instantly, and that is France. And that's because of their strength in depth that they have. They could have four teams that could compete, and I know it's a cliche by now. Um, <laughs> the main players of the 2018 team remain, but the one, the one added dimension is Karim Benzema. Karim Benzema, his form has been unignorable for much longer, despite the spats with Didier Deschamps and the uh, ongoing trial that will be taking part in October for the uh, blackmail. Benzema could either, as I said in a previous podcast, he could either complete France or he could absolutely destroy the team cohesion. We do know France have a propensity to have a meltdown. Obviously, 2010, coming off the back of a 2006 World Cup final, went out in the groups the following tournament. But France have more than that now. Um, the beauty of their 4-2-3-1 or the lopsided 4-3-1-2 from the last World Cup was that they're a team. Giroud might be the striker that doesn't score goals, but the sparks come from deep. You've got Mbappe, you've got Griezmann, two fantastic, two fa world-class. Mbappe is probably one of the best players in the world at the minute. Of course, N'Golo Kante is perfect for this system. He does the work of two men, especially if you've got the likes of Adrian Rabiot and Paul Pogba. Drifting out, out wide and drifting 
kind of high up. Uh, Kingsley Coman could also be an option as well. France have multiple options in every single position, let's be honest. They have got the best team at the tournament. Meanwhile, Germany are a bit of a low ebb. Portugal, they're a bit more optimistic, but I don't think they're going to defend or trouble to defend their their uh, trophy there. And I think that's why France should be superior. France got 79% of the vote to win the group, which in a group containing Germany and Portugal, it shows how strong they are. And it's only the unforeseen, the only, only the intangibles, maybe playing two games away against Germany and Hungary as well. That's the only thing that can stop them. Um, they will get out of this group. I've got, I put my life on it. Um, they will get out further into the latter stages and they're my pick to win the tournament, but uh, we'll get onto that later on. And in second place, it's difficult. Germany or Portugal, flip of the coin stuff. Um, they say never discount the Germans at major tournaments. Just when they look to be down and out, they come roaring back, don't they? Um, 2002, an unspectacular team, let's not forget. You know, Miloslav Klose and Michael Balak, uh, they made the final of that tournament, either side of two group stage exits amid the revolution in the background to create the World Cup winners of 2014 and the constant stream of talent. Now, Germany still have talent. I'm not saying they will make the final either, but they've got a historical pedigree. Yogi Love's send-off, his... Uh, Resignation adds a little bit of a dimension there. It uh, brings the good times back when the uh, morale was at a rotten low, especially with the group stage exit in 2018. They lost to Spain 6 0 in the Nations League. And he's admitted his mistakes of uh, culling the likes of his World Cup winners of Mats Hummels and Tom Small. He brought both of them back in, Jerome Botang, not so much. Um, he's admitted his mistakes in that. Does he admit his mistakes in reverting to three at the back? I did suggest a couple of days ago that it could be a useful tool, three at the back, because there is a lack of wing-backs. Um, Robin Gersons and Klosterman can play. Lucas Klosterman there can play even a three or a four, so it didn't matter too much. Um, and I think there is a, enough talent in at centre-half to play a three, maybe depending on if you want to rotate. I think four is probably the best. Um, in terms of midfield, they've got the best midfield in the competition, which is why I think they'll have the advantage over Portugal. Um, essentially, the, the, with Muller coming back as well, with Leon Goretzka, with Joshua Kimmich, with Serge Gnabry, with Leroy Sané, there's one strand running through all of them. Um, if you play a FIFA Ultimate team, that is, uh, you'll know. Uh, they're all Bayern Munich players, so the chemistry should be there. The club feel should be there. And perhaps there's that element that could propel Germany up front. Obviously, you've got Kai Havertz and Timo Werner as well who could be alternatives through the middle. And maybe this club element, this club side of things, creating this um, this morale, this uh, culture, this club culture, puts them ahead of Portugal. And, and this isn't to say that Portugal will have a bad tournament if they finish third. Remember the last time they finished third in Group F? Well, they won the tournament, didn't they? They do tend to play better at Euros than in the World Cup. They might have a better team than Germany, you know, Ruben Diaz, Jao Cancelo, Bruno Fernandes, Cristiano. I could name names forever. Um, they do have the better individuals, but to win a tournament, to get far in a tournament, do, to do well at a tournament, you've got to have a better team. And for me, the club element for Bayern, for, for Germany, for Bayern Germany, um, has it over Portugal, really. Uh, both will go through. Um, I've got no doubt about that because they'll all take points off Hungary. They might even take points off each other, um, including France in that one. Um, it's one of the most exciting groups of tournament football I can remember in terms of the quality and the tightness of it. Um, it's going to be absolutely fantastic. And of course, we can't discount Hungary. The loss of uh, Dominic Shabozla, I think, has put the final nail in their coffin. But don't discount them. They won this group in 2016. They've got um, a system that 
kind of plays into the hands of playing in a group of death. You've got Roland Shalai, Adam Shazlai. They feed off the deep low block and the counter-attacks running into channels. Um, they just need that number 10 to get forward with them, I think. And I think maybe I'm manufacturing some excitement here, but perhaps this uh, this group could favour Hungary. Um, you didn't think so either on Twitter, 0%. I uh, thought they'd finish in second, and that's fair enough. Uh, like I say, I think they'll finish rock bottom. Um, Portugal, you have at 37% finishing second, 53% of you have gone the same as me, Germany, um, with France making up the rest of those numbers. Right, those were the group stage predictions. We will, uh, of course, confirm the third place teams and uh, take a look at the knockout phase after this short break, as well as the 2021 trivial teaser. Welcome back. This is the 2021 trivial teaser. Well done, all of you who got Christian Benteke correct yesterday. We have um, another trivial teaser, as we often do. We have, you get the position, the two managers and the five teammates. And from that, you have one answer, and it can be only one answer. Um, He has to have been selected for the European Championships this summer. And our player today is a goalkeeper. A goalkeeper who has played underneath Nigel Pearson and Julian Nagelsmann. So two varying divergent managers there in terms of their philosophies. You've got uh, five teammates in Kevin Kilban, Stephen Gerrard, Timo Werner, Emil Forsberg and Yusuf Poulsen. I think this might be too easy. Uh, he's a goalkeeper, played underneath Pearson and Nagelsmann is played alongside Kevin Kilban, Stephen Gerrard, Timo Werner, Emil Forsberg and Yusuf Poulsen. The answer will be on tomorrow's show. The final preview where we'll be discussing uh, ones to watch from every team. I'm going to Bang out 24 ones to watch, players to watch. That might surprise you. Um, but first, I'll have a little break and then we'll uh, predict the entire knockout phases, shall we? Welcome back. So let's find out who's going to win the European Championships because I am always right, of course. I pulled Twitter on the eight teams that I see as forerunners. Asked how far do you think they'll get? So these were the results. The Netherlands will go out in the last 16 Italy and Spain will go out in the quarterfinals. Belgium and Portugal were tied at either quarterfinal or semi-finals, so slightly ahead of Italy and Spain, perhaps, with uh, England and Germany bowing out in the semi-finals and France making the final. Uh, the only team to uh, have full confidence from Twitter there. And obviously this is wholly dependent on the draw because Germany's semi-final and England's semi-final vote there, they could easily meet each other in this draw and they do in this one as well. Uh, but we'll get on to that. So, the third place teams, I'm going to eliminate Switzerland and Finland. The closeness of those groups, Finland's lack of goals might um, hinder them going forward and if they qualify as third place. And that means this leaves the round of 16 looking like this. Belgium versus Portugal, Italy versus Ukraine, France versus Austria, Croatia versus Sweden, Spain versus Scotland, England versus Germany, Netherlands versus Poland and Turkey versus Denmark. So let's start right from the top. Potentially game of the last 16, easily game of, well, maybe. Uh, we've got Belgium versus Portugal. Now I see Belgium's ageing legs in defence, potentially a lack of fitness for Kevin De Bruyne and Aiden Hazard. And the tag of the warm tag, the well-worn tag of the golden generation. I think that's going to weigh heavy on Belgium's shoulders. I think Portugal potentially might even have a better team than Belgium this time around. Potentially their greatest squad ever. Of course, you have one of the greatest to ever play the sport in Cristiano Ronaldo. But aside from him, Felix, Bernardo Silva, 
Diogo Jota, Bruno Fernandes, all names we are familiar with here on English shores. And I think Belgium will have too much for them, but it's going to be, if that does transpire, I think it's going to be one of the most exciting uh, games in the tournament as a whole. Both um, Portugal play fairly defensively anyway. Belgium are defensive, but their their average age of their defence will probably be in the, in the mid-30s. So I can't see, although obviously Cristiano Ronaldo is late 30s, he defies age, as we all know. The next, so that's Portugal going through on that one. So the next round of 16 tie is Italy versus Ukraine. And despite the dark horses, Ukraine, I think this is a no-brainer. Although Malinovsky versus uh, Chiellini, Yaron Truk versus Benucci will be exciting. And the midfield battle will solve it. Even without Verratti, I think this is Italy's tie, as it was in the 2006 World Cup quarterfinal, where Italy swatted away Ukraine 3-0. And I think it'll be a similar story here. Italy are very attacking Serie A also is as well. And I think they'll have enough against the likes of Matvienko in that defence and put quite a few goals beyond Piotr in uh, the Ukraine goal. So a similar story for the third last 16 game, France versus Austria. And having watched Austria easily swatted aside by England's second or third string, this should be easy for a French side who will be at their best, at their strongest in the last 16. They could even rotate heavily ahead of the sort of harder matches obviously harder matches to come in the group as well. Um, I think this could be, a, even though it's a last 16 match, it's a knockout stage game of football, this could be a welcome break for France. And if it does transpire like this, France will easily take it. Croatia versus Sweden is the fourth last 16 game. And this is probably one of the more intriguing potential last 16 clashes. You've got both teams going into it with that tournament experience, Croatia and Sweden, largely intact. Their teams have been from 2018. Sweden is slightly less exciting than Croatia. Croatia will probably edge it for me. This could have been a semi-final of the World Cup, you might remember, from uh, three years ago. But I've got Croatia slightly edging it because of the uh, the names such as Luka Modric in that team that just have that little bit more than Sweden to uh, unpick the uh, lock in defence. Spain versus Scotland is our fifth tie, and this is obviously as... All Spanish tea, Spanish matches now is wholly dependent on their COVID situation. Could Scotland potentially progress to the quarterfinals in a walkover? Who knows? This would be, of course, Scotland's first ever knockout stage match. Um, but it is chalk and cheese, isn't it? Despite Scotland's good crop of players, Spain are easily threw on that one, aren't they? Um, even without the decent number nine, if Alvaro Morata, he, although he's very good, let's not forget, he's not coming in on the greatest of form. Um, Jared Moreno would be a better option, as I said before. Even without that, Spain have got to take it, haven't they, really? England versus Germany is the sixth one. And for the first time, perhaps since 1966 or even 1970, England would be favourites for this one. As I said, Germany's club mentality of the Bayern Munich lads could win this. But you've got the England quality up front and probably the most important thing, the lack of quality in either defence and National bias probably says England for me win this. Um, I just think England's England's defence will be more in tune with Havertz and Werner. Obviously, they'll all played against Sané and Gnabry as well. And I think that will, that familiarity will have England edge ahead of Germany. Also, Germany do have uh, Rudiger in the heart of their defence, or at least should do by this point. But I do think the quality up front for England is probably better than the lack of quality in the German defence. Netherlands versus Poland is the seventh one. And they said, to be fair, it's another intriguing match here. You'd expect the Netherlands to pull through. However, 
I wouldn't be surprised with anything in this quarter of the draw with Turkey and Denmark as well. Uh, it's probably the most even quarter of the draw, propensity for a bit of a dark horse, uh, which could easily be Poland, could easily be Turkey or Denmark. Poland almost knocked out Portugal, let's not forget, in 2016. But I have the Netherlands through with uh, Memphis Depay, probably get a few goals there. Uh, Frankie de Jong run the show. Uh, is that midfield battle that probably will win it in that one. And Turkey versus Denmark, which would probably be my most exciting last 16 tie in a kind of attritional dour sort of way. Denmark are a unit. Turkey have the the sort of excitement in pockets, don't they, with the uh, bright sparks of Kalinoglu, Yilmaz, etc. The defences will be vital to this match. And I think that Denmark's is just slightly more sturdier than Turkey's. Possibly might need penalties to separate that one. Um, but I'm going to go with Denmark on that, which leaves the quarterfinals looking like this. Portugal versus Italy, France versus Croatia, Spain versus England, and the Netherlands versus Denmark. So let's start with Portugal versus Italy. The match of the tournament vibes about this one. The midfields will be key. Verratti would definitely need to be back to his A-game to play in this one. Uh, Portugal's front line, Ronaldo, Bernardo Silva, Yao Felix probably starts ahead of uh, Diogo Jota as Fernando Santos prefers him. Um, I think it's more exciting than Italy's and I think this hinges either on the look of the draw with extra time or penalties, etc. Or the international form of Chiro Immobile because we've not spoken of it that, that just yet but Immobile's international form hasn't mirrored the goal-hungry form that he's shown for Lazio over the past few years and I think if he doesn't provide that Italy will be out at the latter stages here but I'm going for Italy. Um, it is a flip of a coin, isn't it? I think it's going to be penalties. Italy don't have the greatest record on penalties, but then again, neither do Portugal outside the uh, ties with England, of course. So I'm going to go for Italy on that one because I am one of those who I think have fought for quite some time now with this unbeaten run, building and building and building, that Italy could be the dark horses to actually win this thing. And in the second quarterfinal, we've got France versus Croatia, a repeat of the 2018 World Cup final, but I don't think it'll be anywhere near as close. And to be fair, that final wasn't really that close anyway, is it? The only thing that makes this, potentially makes this a quite close extra time penalty sort of affair is if there is a Benzema-induced implosion or an implosion from um, any other area. Let's not just discount Benzema here. Um, I do think France have got too much for Croatia. They did three years ago. They will now. Uh, Croatia aren't as good as what they were then. France arguably are better with that Benzema added dimension. And yeah, there is only one winner. France will meet Italy in the semi-finals. Now, the quarterfinals pits Spain against England. So COVID situation pending. And even without that, I think this should be England's. As an Englishman, I'd probably feel more confident about facing Spain than Germany. Um, England is one of the only times you can say this in the past what, decade, decade and a half, generation. Better quality in almost every area, perhaps uh, with the exception of midfield, obviously. Thiago, Koke and Rodri's up there in terms of midfields um, at this tournament. Uh, also, it depends how well Thiago plays. By now, you'd hope that the English players will be familiar with his style of play, with how he uh, can penetrate with his passing. Up front, I think Spain haven't got that much. If you play Morata, I'm being really harsh on Morata in this podcast, but if um, if Spain opt to go with Morata and in ease against Maguire and Stones, I could see, or any number of combination for England, I could see England winning that battle. And I think that is what takes England into the semi-finals again. 
So the fourth and final quarterfinal is Netherlands versus Denmark. And this is the quarter of the draw, which is the most stimulating for me. Closer than you may think, again, Denmark have the ability to make the semi-finals and not really feel out of place. Um, they obviously have a win over England in the past 12 months, don't they? Um, so if they win this, are they favourites of the semi-final? No. Um, the winner facing England, this would be the dream scenario, wouldn't it? The reverse 2018 situation. But I think the Netherlands slightly edge. It may have to be penalties. They may... They will, they will struggle to break Denmark down. The tournament, to, tournament of pragmatism, I think the Netherlands will just, they'll need to be at their best to take it to penalties, but it'll be hacking back to the good old days of 1998 when both were at their peaks in the quarterfinals of a tournament. But I think Netherlands have got it here. So that leaves us with England versus the Netherlands, Italy versus France in the semi-finals. And having said covered quite a lot of bases in this I think the final would be France versus England so Italy versus France is probably the two best teams eliminating each other it could go either way France obviously have precedent harking back to the days of 2000 I think this would just be as entertaining really Italy are very very attacking meanwhile France have got that pragmatism they show they can just grind out wins in tournament football we've seen it against Uruguay you've seen it against uh, Belgium in the last tournament when it got to the nitty gritty I think they'll do the same this time round in terms of England against the Netherlands England again I put them as favourites no bias there I just think they are I, it would be an inversion from the 2018 model where England face weaker and weaker opponents as it goes on but I think that the Netherlands probably are the easier of the three against Spain and Germany, despite the Netherlands going toe to toe with Germany in the uh, in the Nations League there and the sorry the uh, World Cup qualifi- uh, European Championship qualification. It's been a long three years. Um, I think this would be the time to lock in a three four three for England to be pragmatic, maybe to match the Netherlands back three pound for pound. All the Netherlands probably will play three five two, but a three four three, the pragmatism that nobody seems to want, but it will be necessary to win a tournament. I think that will get England into the final of a European Championship for the very first time. And um, taking my big English trilby hat off, my supporting hat here, this is where the story ends in the final at Wembley too. It's more than a whiff of 1966 about it. Could have been a whiff about 1996 about it, but you know, semi-finals and penalties and that. But my national bias can't extend beyond this. It's maybe a stretch already to take England into the final. I believe England, if they get through the last 16, if they beat Germany, they'll get to the final. There's no in-between, I don't think. Um, They'll probably potentially face likes of Portugal, Netherlands, Spain on the way, maybe Italy. I, I don't see them. The only team that I don't see them getting through is France. I just think they France are unassailable. It'll take something spectacular, something unforeseen to for them not to get here, not to get to the final, not to win the tournament. And um, maybe that's a boring option to win the tournament. I would have Italy on a par with England in terms of the second best team at the tournament. Maybe Portugal are quite closely followed there as well. But France, have, you cannot look beyond their team. It's just the best team in the world, isn't it? And they've done it before, 98 and 2000. Obviously, that knows no bearing whatsoever because Kylian Mbappe wasn't even born for a lot of that for 98. I don't think he was alive. So <laughs> there's no precedent whatsoever, but it just feels right. And Italy probably are the best team to take it to France. But this final is France versus England. And I just don't see England beating France in the final, especially not in the final. Um, I didn't think that in 2018 either. Don't think it now, even though the gap is slightly closer than what it was in 2018. 
But we will be back tomorrow with Euro Daily episode 5 and we will be looking at our ones to watch for the tournament, our 24 players you should be looking out for in the European Championship. Thank you for your support on Patreon, YouTube and the podcast feed. Thank you for listening, subscribing, reviewing. Thank you for all these things, donating the money. It's very, very greatly appreciated. I will see you tomorrow and for the fourth time, up the three lions. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.